Thank you so much for being here with us. And today we're doing something a little different. As you know, the last several weeks we have been live streaming. And at the end of the sermon, we have asked you guys to be sending in questions. And you have. And we can't get to them every week. Um, so this week we spent some time looking over the ones that we haven't gotten to, the questions that you guys have sent in. Also ones that keep coming in. And so it's telling us that you guys have some needs and need some answers. Answers. And so today we have some people with us. We have a panelist here today. And right to my left is Greg Boyd. We all know who he is. And Sandra Unger. Uh, she is the director of The Lift, one of our partner ministries here at Woodland Hills. And then another one of our staff pastors, Kevin. So we are so glad to have everyone here today. And we've been praying about these questions that people have sent in. And we want to make sure that we do our best to provide encouragement, uh, answers, and just see what God may do during this time. So are you guys ready to get started? No, let's wait another 20 minutes or so, and then we'll get... Why not? <laughs> the worship was good. Let's bring them back up. <laughs> oh, so Sandra, during this interesting time that we're in right now in the world, we have a unique opportunity to really show ourselves as being the church, us the people, not just the building. We can really showcase that to unbelievers. What are some of your thoughts on how we can make that happen? Well, I think... First, we need to be really clear that the church is not a building. Dilan said that during worship today. And I think based on some of the things that are coming out of churches around the United States where people are saying, we can't cancel our church. Uh, I just want to say first, whether you're a believer or unbeliever or wherever your background, uh, the church is not a building. The Bible is clear. The church started out very organic in people's homes and in about the 4th century, was it? Constantine yeah. decided that the church was a state religion. Christianity was a state religion. And then we got these big fancy buildings and it became something very different from what it was at the beginning. And so I think this is an opportunity for us to really live out uh, being the church in a way that's very different than a building and stained glass and choirs. And we may miss those things, and I understand that, but right now we can really get back to our roots and become people who serve and love and show people that the church is really about relationships with Jesus and relationships with each other, and we can manifest that in the way that we handle this really difficult crisis that we're in the middle of. Good word. Yeah, I'd like to just piggyback on that, Sandra. It's good stuff. Not only is the church not a building, um, according to scripture, but it's also supposed to be a family, a covenant, a new covenant family. And so this is our opportunity to start acting as family. I think the early church caught the eyes and the attention of the world around them um, because they lived differently. And one of the radical ways they lived differently was by being a family, even though they weren't biologically related. And so some onlookers would say, well, man, look how they love each other. And the love looked tangible. They, they were treating each other as family, meeting each other's needs, gathering regularly, uh, sharing resources. And I think this is our opportunity to help the world see something different. That's not just a gathering that happens in buildings. This is something that happens out in the, the real world that others can see. And our family members and friends and neighbors who aren't Jesus followers can hear our stories about how we've met each other's needs in this time. So. I love that you said it's uh, tangible love. That's just showing who we are as kingdom people, right? We have very real ways to do that right now, and I'm, I'm thankful, not for the situation, but I'm thankful for the opportunity that we mm. have to bring that to others. It's really you know, powerful. I mentioned this last week, but in Colossians, uh, Paul says that, that, that the God is at work throughout the entire creation to reconcile all things, uh, bring peace, shalom to all things, by means of the cross. 
And so God's spirit, that cruciform spirit, is at work throughout the world. Hmm. And it's always the case that not only do we uh, should be displaying this towards one another in, in whatever ways we can, given the circumstances we're in, but, but to the outside world as well. So be looking for opportunities. Where can Christ-like love make a difference? Amen. Uh, in your neighborhood, wherever you're going, be asking the question, who's in need? Who's hurting now? How might I be able to, to minister to them? If only through praying for them. And that's yeah. certainly a... A, a, a primary service, unique service that we have to offer the world is that we, we, we pray for them. Amen. And so cover your neighbors, your, your, especially your elderly neighbors, those that, those that are at risk. Yeah, that's so good. Prayer is such an important part, and we've talked about that. That is like kingdom warfare that we can do Absolutely. all the time, every day. And Greg, you've mentioned um, several times some amazing examples of self-sacrificial love that the early church were able to display during times of the plague. But in this situation, it really seems as if if we do that, if we follow those marching orders, we could actually be making things worse. So what mm. would you guys say are some tangible ways that we can be of service, be of help, without making the situation even worse? Well, at The Lift, uh, which is my organization, we work with a lot of families who in the best of times are really struggling with needs, with groceries, and they don't have their basic needs, toilet paper, whatever it is. Mm. And so what we've been doing is we're getting creative with 21st century technology by um, sending gift cards. Did you know you could do this? You can go on Target and you can send gift cards, cards via email or text. So we do that. We deliver things to people's houses. We just leave a bag of groceries or whatever the needs are on their porch. and. The other thing we do is we just reach out. Our program managers every week call all of the families that are involved in our programs to find out what are the needs, how are they, how are they doing. And it becomes much more than a conversation just about we need toilet paper. It becomes a conversation about how, what the struggle is to deal with kids who are at home without enough resources, no transportation. And so the conversations become deeper than just about those basic needs. But really meeting those basic needs and reaching out on the phone opens the door to something much deeper. Amen. I know here at Woodland we've had to adjust the way that we do things to serve our community. Um, our food shelf that we partner with, they moved to another location so that they can be most effective, but we knew that people were used to coming to this building, to this location for food services. And so we scrambled and got together and uh, figured out a way to still run our food shelf here. It looks different than it did before, but that's something that we still felt called to do. We're doing it safely. Uh, we're following guidelines but we're still trying to meet needs and we're still having our daycare because many of those parents cannot afford to not work they have to continue to work or they're in jobs that um, where they cannot stay home and so we are providing care for the kids but again doing so safely following guidelines it's so important to still be able to do the things that we feel called to do but in a safe way and using wisdom and being loving mm -hmm. by following the rules instead of being rebels and breaking the rules. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, come on, preach it. You like that? Yeah. <laughs> Kevin, um, do you think that Romans 13 uh, should apply to the stay-at-home order? Because we have people who are very social, they're used to being uh, busy and active, and right now they're not working and they have extra time. And what do you say to those who say, you know what, I'm going to disinfect myself, but I'm still going to go out and, and do things that need to get done? Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, what they're probably in that question referring to is the Romans 13, 1 and following where it says that we're to obey the governing authorities 
because God has instituted those. And, and I certainly agree that we are to do that um, because God has said to in his word, but also he's initiated those things. But I think there's a more important a few verses later on in Romans 13 um, that really come to my mind right now as, a, as something for us to be thinking of. For example, Romans 13 uh, verse 8 says that we are to love our neighbor, and when we do that, we fulfill the law. And further on in Romans 8, it says that love uh, does no harm or love does no wrong, and therefore it fills the law. And so I feel like we need to balance those things where we're reaching out in uh, sacrificial love wisely, but we're also being cautious. So that love does no wrong is, would be the protective side. I'm going to maybe still do some things I would normally do, but I need to think twice, uh, maybe three times about, okay, how, and might I be bringing harm to others in just going about the things I want to do? And so we're supposed to say, well, not just because the government says so, but what's the loving thing to do? King Jesus has told us to not do any harm, to do good to our neighbors. And so there's that sort of a tension there. How, do, how can we do as much good as possible and bring as little harm? I think the grocery store work Workers are you know, having to still go out there so that we can have needs met. Yeah. So they're putting themselves at risk. But it's not frivolous. It's not just to socialize. It's to love. And, but they're trying to do it in a way that doesn't bring harm. So it's a tricky balance. But I feel like that's the rest of Romans 13, not just the governmental requirement. <clears throat> I love that. Thank you so much. Um, Greg, I know that you have said several times that this virus is not of God, but we are still getting questions about how do we talk to people we know yeah. in our lives who consistently are saying this must be of God. What can we say just to put that issue to rest for many? Yeah, that, that, uh, we've gotten that question a lot. We've gotten it persistently, so clear it's, it's, on, it's on people's minds. It's not surprising. Because even on television, uh, I don't know if it drives anyone else crazy, but it drives me crazy when you hear these acts of God. This is an act of God. Pandemic's an act of God. Uh, or, or people like, God forbid, or God willing, uh, will get these. You know, and it, it's, it all gets put on God. And so, when it comes to, like, talking this through theologically, the first thing you've always got to ask yourself is, is uh, how much say-so has this person given you? Uh, are they asking for your opinion? Uh, are they open to it? Uh, and, and if there's not any kind of inquisitiveness on their part, especially if, if their theological paradigm is working for them, it's getting them through this crisis, right. even if you may, you may totally disagree with it, but, but, but my modus operandi is, is that if a, if a person's theology is working for them, you leave it alone. Uh, uh, you don't want to upset that. That's the, the one thing they're hanging on to. But if there's any openness there, or any, you know, it looks like they they've invite your opinion, and you might just say, pose it in terms of a question. Like, uh, really, do you think God really is to blame for all of that? And, and, and it kind of in a humble way, just kind of offer that up. Because mm. the thing is, is ultimately you've kind of come to one of the two conclusions. Either, either everything that's happening here is reflective of God's will, or there are other wills at work here. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we're convinced here that, that uh, the second view is, is the biblical view. Uh, God is the creator of all things, right? But, he, but, but part of what he creates are free agents, both humans and, and, and angelic beings. And that means that agents have say-so. Uh, our choices make a difference in what comes to pass. Amen. And according to uh, uh, the New Testament, especially if you understand it in its original context, uh, these principalities and powers that Paul talks about, you find in other places in the New Testament, uh, they're understood to be uh, high-ranking angelic beings who have authority over aspects of the earth, the creation, and, and over society. And, 
Uh, just like with humans, uh, we can use our say-so, our authority, our responsibility, either in line with God's will or against God's will. And if we live it against God's will, everything we're responsible for is going to suffer accordingly. Mm. Well, so also in the angelic realm, uh, when uh, various angels rebelled against God, it was like a civil war that happened in the heavenly realms, they still have that authority over the earth and over the aspects of the society, but they now use it for corrupting purposes, and we are afflicted accordingly. And so I, I encourage people to just since Jesus says if you see me you see the Father right yeah. he is the spitting image of what God looks like if, if Jesus wouldn't have done it then don't attribute it to God mm -hmm. the Father mm -hmm. uh, Jesus never went around sending pandemics or hurricanes or earthquakes or anything of the sort in fact this whole ministry is dedicated on fighting against that sort of thing and so we also should see God is always fighting against that sort of stuff the destruction the mayhem the pain all of that is from the thief who comes to kill steal and destroy Jesus comes to give us life but the enemy comes to steal mm -hmm. so whatever stealing life, that's enemy stuff, directly or indirectly. Uh, God's on the side of life, and then our job is to participate with God in every way we can, to be furthering that life, pushing back on that death. But offer it always humbly, uh, inquisitively. You don't want to be a bull in a china shop. You know, I'm right and you're wrong. It's the last thing that people need. Just right. offer it as a humble perspective to consider. Right. Right, Kevin, it's important to, to have these conversations in loving ways, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. The bottom line is love. Um, and I really love what Greg said about how it's not a time to correct people's theology, um, if that's what's helping them through this time. But it is an opportunity to maybe help them see God differently and to see the world differently. And I think that's, for a lot of people, will be helpful to see that he's not the author of these kinds of things. Matter of fact, when Greg was talking, I was thinking about the Genesis 3 narrative. Mm. You know, Greg was talking about active angelic or demonic free wills working right now in this situation. But we look in our scriptural narrative and in Genesis 3, which is where the fall happens, um, as a result of humans stepping out of under God's um, authority and then we were supposed to keep earth and the, and the creation safe and orderly. Uh, Eden was a perfect garden of harmony and shalom. Everything was the way it was, was supposed to be. But as soon as we stepped out from underneath God's rulership, um, we see that in Genesis 3 where a beautiful uh, garden became thorns and thistles. Mm -hmm. So something was distorted and twisted as a result of the fall. And I'm sure that was from the enemy, but I see now that's a, like a domino effect that goes through history. Not only is our satanic or demonic beings actively intervening in the present, but they set a domino effect in, in motion because we stepped out of our role. And that domino effect is still rippling through the world and through creation. So it is the thief that's come to steal and kill and destroy. It's not God. God's doing as much as he can in the midst of this to uh, restrain evil and to protect and bring good. And I think that's our role as well, to get back under his leadership and start to bring that shalom harmony again. You know, if you look at the early church, uh, the first three centuries, uh, they talked a lot about pandemic and, and droughts and disasters, whatever. And no one attributed it to God. Right. Uh, they all attribute it to the work of the enemy. And it's not that there's a devil behind every tornado or every virus right. or anything like that, but nature as it now is has been corrupted. Right. Um, and that shouldn't surprise us because we know that we have the capacity to corrupt nature. We're doing it all mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're God's created landlords here, his viceroys, uh, but we're not doing that good of a job on that first mandate of ours to care for the earth and the animal kingdom, and the earth and the animal kingdom suffer accordingly. But there's also the influence of the cosmic powers. And, um, um, and the fact that we, as intelligent beings have the capacity to corrupt nature, even in genetic engineering and stuff, mm. it shouldn't surprise us that principalities and powers who have authority that's far vet, more vast than ours, they also have that capacity to some degree to corrupt nature so it doesn't operate exactly as, as God created it to operate. 
But Greg, we don't have to go very far into social media or the news networks to see ministers who are saying that yeah. God brought this. Don't I mean, it's it. everywhere. Yeah. God, uh, he's mad at a whole different group of people depending on who you listen to. Uh, one of the ones that I've heard frequently is that God is angry that church attendance has declined. <laughs> <laughs> which I guess depends how you define church. Yeah, but right. I think it's really, it's sad and Talk funny the and interesting. being worse than the disease. Well, exa yeah. yeah, exactly. But when you think about the people who are struggling with this disease yeah. most, it's the people who are elderly and struggling mm -hmm. with health issues. So it seems like it would be an odd plan of God hmm. to punish yeah. poor church attendance by killing the people who don't who do go to church regularly right, right. it's not a very good plan yeah. no yeah. no and if you think of the people yes the elderly and also people who are on the front lines fighting <laughs> to help the helpers they are being um they're getting sick and mm. some of them are succumbing and so it just is a sadistic in my opinion well, the idea it God. presupposes a zapper god right you know the, the mm. thor going around zapping and, yeah. and all the and that's just not at all the picture of god that we get in in jesus christ right right and so as believers we can try to understand that but how does our messaging change sandra for unbelievers who don't understand kingdom authority in a fallen world and they don't understand that satan has been given free reign um they are just seeing what's going on and they're like what in the world is that about how does our message change for non-believers well I would say again you're going to want to follow their lead and in the same way that we don't want to um, try to change people's theology during this time I think we also have to be careful about trying to make this a time to proselytize or make people jump onto our religious <laughs> bandwagon because that's not what the need is right now they need to be loved they need to be listened to so I would follow their questions where they lead if they really mm -hmm. want to know where our hope comes from then that's a great opportunity to share it but I think mostly just do what any human does for for those in need is you listen and you care and you meet yeah. needs and you make yourself available and we have more time now to make ourselves available and to really practically meet needs and so I think we need to use that time to really be Jesus to each other to yeah. be the church on the street I love that those like who have that time of course yeah. there's the front workers and yeah. doctors whatever exactly we don't but uh, uh, if we I'd have like it. to add to that um, Sandra that's awesome when you were talking I was getting the picture of the story where Jesus there's a storm and he's in the boat with his disciples so um, and yet he's sleeping right but he's in the boat with them so first and foremost he's in it with them yeah. and I feel like that's one of the key things we can bring to folks around us is there's the sense that we are in this too we're in it with you we're here for you let's give an empathetic ear but then I also think we need to bring something different to the, the situation as well which is exactly what Jesus does in that story it's remarkable to me there's this storm they're threatened they're afraid and he's in it with them but he's sleeping Mm. And so there's a different peaceful presence that he brought to the situation. And I feel like this is our opportunity as the body of Christ to be in this crisis, but to be different in the midst of it. If we're just um, trying to get through the crisis ourselves, we're not necessarily going to bring others something different. Uh, we can only bring something different, though, if we have it. So right. I feel like this is an our opportunity right. not just to get through the crisis, but to grow through the crisis mm -hmm. and to shine through this crisis and to show something different. And I think about some of the character qualities that Jesus um, manifested but then offers to us by his spirit. So he, he's peaceful, he's hopeful, he's joyful, he's patient. All of those things are not just emotional states that either come or don't come. Those are character qualities that were sort of steady dispositions Jesus was able to have in a storm or on the cross, if you will. So I feel like this is our opportunity to press forward as a body, help mm -hmm. each other grow in these very things that the Spirit has empowered us to be able to manifest and then be that kind of a presence with our brothers and sisters. 
That's so good, Kevin. And Sandra, I love the point you made that this is not the time like for a turn or burn message, right? right? This isn't the time to scare people into the kingdom. The way in which we will be Jesus is by being that calm presence, exuding his characteristics, being loving, being helpful, not using this as an opportunity to say, you know. God's going to get you. He's going to get you. You know, I, I, the other thing I was going to say, just while Kevin was talking, I was realizing that we've, we have families who have kind of had to move because of this. So some of the kids we work with are now 20 minutes away. Just families have shuffled where they're staying. And my first thought was, oh, we can't drive all the way there with groceries. That's ridiculous. And then I thought, well, what else are we going to do? And so we've really <laughs> extended our boundaries because we do, those of us who are not working in food industries and those of us who are not working in medical arenas, a lot of times have a lot more time on our hands. Mm-hmm. And so it's great. Get in the car and drive across the city and deliver groceries. It's a good use of time. Yeah. So you know, it's an organic principle that uh, it's like it's working out. You don't grow unless you, you're, you get stressed. Right. You know, the way you build up a muscle is by breaking it down so it can grow back stronger. And I think it's a universal principle. It certainly applies to the body of Christ. And they even noticed that in the early church. That's why you know, the persecution of the church, Tertullian said, was that's the seed of the church. It, it had it to grow. Yeah. And so this is a time of, of, of stress. We're getting stressed. We, you know, think, things are being taxed. But if we respond by yielding to the Spirit, who's always at work to bring about, to turn to our advantage, mm. uh, what will come out of it will look different but be better, as Delon said during worship. Mm, you know, we're yeah. going to come back stronger, more passionate yes. about worship. Uh, we'll appreciate it more that we have a chance to get together. I mean, there's so many goods that God can bring out of that. But the idea that God would cause this for that good is just... There's a world of difference between saying, look at the beautiful things that God can bring out of this terrible situation. He redeems it. On the one hand, and on the other hand, saying God caused that situation for that purpose. He redeems it. That's right. That was good, Sandra. Thank you. And that was good, too. No, you compliment her. I get get no respect for Redemption and all things. Sandra, you're so smart. (laughs) Well, Greg, what can you say to people, or what do you say to people who who comment, you know, God is all-powerful. We get that. But because God is all-powerful, he has the power to stop this pandemic pandemic in a moment, and yet he's refusing to do so. So then they draw that conclusion, well, if he's all-powerful, he could stop it, but he won't stop it. That must mean that he wants this pandemic to ravage us. That's been the the logical trip-up for people since Augustine first introduced it in the uh, 4th century, late 4th, early 5th century. Um, The idea is that God pulls all the strings, and so if God didn't stop something, and, and since God's all good, right, if God didn't stop something, well, then it must be good that he didn't stop it. Therefore, what he didn't stop must be good. And so, yeah, he could have stopped your rape, but he just chose not to. And uh, uh, so it must be good somehow. It contributes to the good of the whole, the glory of God or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, just, it's, it's just, here's the thing. If, if you grant that God, in creating this world, created free agents, you can understand why God can't do some things unilaterally, but you're not denying God's omnipotence. Right. So what it means to give free agency, free will, to either angels or humans is that you have say-so. I have say-so. I can affect the world to this degree. I can go this way, let's say that's in line with God's will, the loving way, to this degree, or I can go that way to that degree. Now, if God gave me the freedom to do that, go this way to this degree or that way to that degree, well, then, then that means that God can't take it back if I'm going, just because I'm going to go that way to that degree, the bad way. Because <laughs> if he did, that would just mean he didn't give me the ability to go this way to that right. degree or that way to that degree. So free will is by nature irrevocable. So God has to, once given it, work around it. And, and uh, 
the thing is, as we just said, that well, the, the free agency means that things can happen that are not God's will, and we're seeing that all over the place. But uh, because God's infinitely intelligent, he's never caught off God, never by surprise, he's never biting his nails, never wringing his hands, like, oh, this is going to turn out. No, he's in control of this big picture. He anticipates the whole thing. He's got contingencies plans for everything, so we can trust his sovereignty, uh, all the while not blaming him for any of the, the mayhem that's going on. Mm. Well, Greg, I think this is a great opportunity where I think the book of Job has a lot to say to it us does. as well, where you mentioned Augustine earlier, and I feel like he didn't really sort of invent this idea. He just brought it an ancient idea, a very deep uh, universal idea back into the church. The idea that um, God is causing everything. Um, and we see that in the book of Job, where Job's friends and even Job himself are interpreting all the terrible things that are happening as some things that God is directly doing to punish Job, but is, they still believe God's doing it. And so what we see in, in the book of Job is that idea is refuted way back there. It's one of the oldest stories in the Old Testament. Um, and, the, and what ends up happening there is that God is trying to correct their theology, and he's trying to do it in the midst of Job's suffering, but he really challenges Job to say things like, well, he doesn't give him an explanation. Um, I hear you all the time, Greg, talking about how you know, the mystery isn't in God's character, but it's in the nature of the complexity of creation. And God doesn't we're, our brains aren't necessarily able to handle all of that complexity. So God isn't explaining everything that there needs to be explained in the book of Job. He's simply saying there's things you can't understand now, mm. but I am not causing these things. I'm not to blame for them. Trust me. Mm. I feel like that's a really important message for us today. And when God shows up, he doesn't tell Job, hey, I can do whatever I want. Uh, you exactly. can't question me. Yep. Uh, and, and that's how it's often interpreted. Yeah. God, God's the, the under-controlling God. What's interesting is that, Job, yeah, like you said, Kevin, Job attributes all of it to God, and he just thinks that God's unjust. Job's friends attribute all to God, but they think God is just, therefore Job's a sinner. And, and it, what's interesting is that both of those theologies agree with Satan, yeah. who at the beginning charge alleged that God was a Machiavellian control freak. Yeah, and yeah. He, he was manip manipulating people into worshiping him. Did he say Machiavelli? Machiavellian, or? yes. Okay. It's, it's, a, it, it's in the original Hebrew somewhere. <laughs> Just, that just means manipulative. <laughs> and, and so, Job, I think the whole book of, of, of Job is written to, re to refute Satan's theology, which right. is expressed in different ways through Job and through Job's friends. And when God shows up, he basically says, what do you know about anything? The yeah, creation, yeah. the stars. Did I get your advice when I put the stars in the sky? Do you know where dew comes from? How about that? Let's start simple. How about the wind? Uh, those ostriches, you know why they play the way they do, and on and on and on. And you have to ask, why is he talking about all this creation stuff? And the answer is that he's, he's, he's humbling Job by saying, you don't know what's going on here. It's not that my, my will or character is so, so obscure, you can't, you know, I, what I mean by good is different than, than what you mean by good. No, he, he's not saying that at all. Uh, it's rather the complexity of creation that we don't know anything about, which is why we can't ever say why anything happens the way it does. Hmm. We can just respond to it. Well, would you guys say that Satan is powerful enough to have created this virus um, and the other natural disasters that we experience in our world? So there's two different words for creation in Hebrew. Uh, and there's one kind in which Satan could create and another kind in which he couldn't. The, the, the first word has to do with just creating out of nothing, and that's only applied to God. God just speaks and it is so. Only God can do that. Uh, Agents, like humans and angels, we can create in a derivative sense, but it's, it's 
It's not ex nihilo or from nothing. It's rather uh, we, we take what is there and now we do something with it. Uh, and it can be for the better or it can be for the worse. So Satan can create a virus, for example, uh, by corrupting nature, uh, bending in certain ways, whatever authority he has to do that. And so he's creating it, but he's, not, he's really discreating. He's, hmm. he's corrupting what God has originally crea created. And I think ultimately all evil, and this is a traditional view, all evil is a negation or a corruption of what was good. Uh, and... Um, yeah, so he has that, that power in a derivative sense. Yes, Sean, I think also of uh, the story of Exodus where we see in that story uh, God has given Moses some supernatural powers to use his staff to do these signs and wonders. But then we see the magicians of Egypt being able to replicate a number of those, not all of them, but most of them. And so what it sh that shows me is that there are some demonic powers that are able to manipulate Creative, created things in the same way that Moses, God is able to do that through Moses, Satan's able to do that as well. So, so our narrative in the scripture does give us the sense that Satan does have that ability. But I would go down to the level of us as humans as well, where we corrupt those good things. Greg talked about how uh, everything that Satan does is just a corruption of God's already created good things. I think we as humans create good things. Like we take love, which is the most beautiful thing, and don't we corrupt it often in how we use it? Mm. Um, this concept of justice in the Old Testament there's this beautiful sense of God's justice, but then we take that thing and we use it as retribution or as revenge or mm -hmm. as punishment. So I think there's an infinite number of ways where we as humans take good God-given things and twist them, and they become horrible and ugly in this mm -hmm. world. So we have to be taking responsibility for that. But if we can do it, uh, principalities and powers can certainly do that as well. The important caveat on this is, is that that because um, so some Christians will hear this, you know, thinking, "Oh, you're Manichaean," which was an ancient mm -hmm. view that that the God and the devil are equal strength and they're mm -hmm. eternally fighting each other. Uh, but the difference between the New Testament view and Manichaeanism is that in the New Testament and the Bible as a whole, uh, God is eternal and God alone is eternal. God, never, God alone never began and will never end. Everything else is created. So Satan and the powers, they have got, compared to us, incredible authority to corrupt nature, but their, their authority is limited and, and bracketed and it will not always be. Uh, the, the freedom they have to say, so like all of our freedom, it's finite, it will run out. Uh, there'll be a time when God is all in all and his love will define every square inch. Uh, so it, it, this isn't a dualism, a cosmic dualism. Uh, it's just a war zone right now. It won't always be that way. Have you guys seen any like of the post online or anyone talking about how one of the interesting things during this time is how the earth seems to be calming down, like it, the pollution in the air and, and just the animals in nature. These things seem to be, like they have room to breathe and be. Hmm. I thought that was really interesting. I think that's a great example of the ways that we can corrupt God's creation. I saw a film about Venice and how for the first time in forever they can see the bottom of the canals in Venice and that's mm, happening everywhere wow. so it's a sort of recreation following our corruption. Mm -hmm. I think that's another illustration of how we humanity, collective humanity can corrupt creation. I did see an article just the other day where um, the seismologists are detecting less shaking. The earth is shaking less just because there's less normal activity trucks on roads and people traffic mm. and trains and things and so our presence here um, we, it talks about in Romans how the whole creation is groaning yeah. the pains of childbirth and, and, a, and it's waiting the creation is waiting for us the, the children of God to be redeemed and to back into our position of stewardship um, because the, the, the displacement of us from that role is what caused a lot of this problem in the first place but I think it's a, a wake up call for us as humanity and as the church especially to rethink how we do life. Mm -hmm. 
One of the things we've talked about over the last couple of weeks is looking at this opportunity in fr with fresh eyes and the opportunity to be home and with your family members or those that you live with and really connecting in uh, special and new ways. But Sandra, there are those who don't have a family or they don't or they live alone or they live in isolation and, and then this situation is causing them to feel more isolated, more alone. And so what kingdom advice do you have for those who say that's wonderful for all you families out there, but I'm alone, and so I'm feeling more alone and more isolated. Yeah, it's a huge problem, and it's not just for those who live alone and now they're just a little bit more alone. People are really, really, really busy all the time, and what's been mm -hmm. done, what's happened is that all of the props that hold us together and that keep us going and that dictate our days have been pulled out from under us. And so we sit at home and we have more time to think and we have more time to look at our regrets. They have more, we have more time to feel shame. And a lot of times those voices in our head become so loud during these times of quiet. Mm. Times that could be peaceful, but instead they end up being feeling very demonic. And mm. I think the things that we need to do in those moments is first of all just recognize that those, that's not the voice of God. Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're getting voices in your head that say, look how much you've screwed up and look at all mm. these mistakes you've made and you should be feeling regret, that is not the voice of God. Mm. And so you just need to say, no, I'm not going to listen to that and really seek out the truth through prayer, reading the Bible, and I would say through reaching out to a trusted friend because we know that shame thrives in secret. Mm. And so right. we're sitting at home alone and we have too much time on our hands and that's just the perfect time for yep. these voices to just amplify. And as soon as we speak it out loud, as soon as we call that trusted friend and say, this is what I'm struggling with, this is the pain I'm feeling, it dissipates to some degree because we've not let that stay secret and become a cancer inside us. So I, I just pastorally really relate to people who Maybe you're an extrovert and you've been forced to away from all of those things that keep you busy and maybe you're a person who really needs voices from the outside coming in all the time to affirm you and you've lost so much of that. Mm. So I would say we have to be really, really intentional about reaching out and even not just on the phone. Do video chats. So you need to look at the person, have them look in your eyes mm -hmm. and say, you are loved. That's good. This condemnation does not that's come good. from Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. I'd like to just add a little bit to that, Sandra. Um, I think when I think about historically, there, there were crises and, and uh, trials and persecutions that have faced the church throughout history. And in most of church history, those have been the opportunities where the church sort of woke up and made an adjustment to normal, how they did normal church life. I feel like this is one of those for us, where, Shauna, you were asking about those who are living alone and they don't have others. I've got four people in my house, and so I have a built-in community. I don't generally feel very lonely right now. But there are folks, as you mentioned, that are lonely. This has cut them off. We do have the, a beautiful ability to connect through Zoom and these other media, but I feel like it's our opportunity for folks like me, I have four in my home, I need to stop and think and ask myself, well, who doesn't have anybody in their home? Yeah. And then I can be more intentional to reach out to them and contact them and bring things to them either electronically through Zoom or a meal on the doorstep, those kinds of things that you talked about, Sandra. But I feel like this is our opportunity, not again to, to just get through this crisis, but to grow through it and to shine through it. I'd love for the church to rethink how our way of doing life, our living arrangements mm -hmm. has been shaped by the culture so that we are so isolated. We're not only so 
we're busy, but we're isolated. Folks live alone, and then in a situation like this, they are alone. Mm -hmm. um, how could we mm -hmm. take an opportunity to look at this and say, well, maybe we can think of ways to live together, um, to, to share our living spaces more, that would also connect us more, that would also then cut down on expenses that then could be freed up to give more. So there's a whole bunch of missional opportunities in this time where we can just rethink such basic things as how do we live, what are our living arrangements. Mm -hmm. It's good. I love that. Um, just rethinking how we do our life and who we do our life with and who else can we include in that. And uh, I know Greg has mentioned several times that during, during this period in life, prayer is one of the most powerful weapons that we have. And so I have been really shaken to my core and brought to my knees in prayer for uh, certain people groups that are stuck at home and it's not safe for them. Mm. Um, I was thinking earlier this week about the fact that when I was eight years old, had something like this happened in our world and I was forced to stay home, like not able to have the escape of going to school, that would have been a literal hell on earth for me um, because the adults in my life were not safe people. And so for uh, children and even adults who are experiencing abuse or who are afraid to be trapped, um, I have really been praying hard and I think it's important to just, we can't always answer that question. We can't go and grab people and save them necessarily, but just to be aware, uh, listen for prompts and check on your people. If you know people are in vulnerable situations, check on them. And Sandra, I think this is something that you guys are doing with the lift is you, you have many at risk young people, but and you know that, but you're checking on your people. Yeah, we have a Discord server and meet with our kids a couple times a week, and we do voice calls, and we do Zooms, and we call them one-on-one. -on -one. And the thing that can happen there is just a little bit of a pattern interrupt. Mm -hmm. So if a family is in strife and not safe, and there's a lot of screaming going on, just bringing in that little piece of love, which is, there's some groceries on your porch, here's a gift card, can interrupt that pattern of hatefulness mm -hmm. and argumentativeness and just bring Jesus, really, mm -hmm. at least under their porch and then he can, he can make his way in. But I think interrupting the pattern that's happening in people's homes mm -hmm. through voicemail, phone mail, whatever media you have uh, is just a great gift that you can give people because we don't know exactly what's going on in the homes, but we know that if we intervene often enough, we're mm -hmm. going to get some truth back. Amen. I think we're, we tend to be creatures of habit, and it's, so if we've never done something before, it's hard for us to conceive of doing it before. I'm right. too old to start something new, mm -hmm. but this is exactly the right time to yep. start thinking of doing yeah. things you've never done before. Yeah. Absolutely. Random acts of kindness. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> it's important. And just listen to those nudges of the Holy Spirit. Like if you just, if you just out of the blue think of, I wonder how this person is doing. Well, then maybe check on that mm -hmm. person. Mm -hmm. um, you never know what a phone call or a FaceTime. You can or even write, handwrite a card shocking. and send it to people. Like in days. I know. Handwritten. Cool. <laughs> I care about you. Yeah, I exactly. mean, <laughs> that would be amazing. I've heard in some areas that uh, some, some kids are doing that where they just are using chalk to write random yes. kind notes to people, yes. especially elder people. You know, we yeah. care about you and I love whatever. That. Uh, that's a On the sidewalk and, you know, putting messages in windows yep. and that's really neat. Just mm. being that light and love is so important mm. during this time. Yeah. We know that in Matthew 6 that Jesus says not to worry and that we're supposed to trust our Heavenly Father. And so we have people wondering, what exactly can we trust our Heavenly Father for? Mm. Like, how specific can we get in trusting Him? Can we trust, can we pray uh, to, for Him to protect, protect our loved ones and trust that they are going to be safe and come out of this, the other side, healthy and whole? Me? 
Uh, well. that, is, that is like one of the most important questions because that screws people up like you wouldn't believe. If they're convinced that uh, following God means I can trust that he's going to always protect my kids, then when, God forbid, one of your kids die or get sick, then it, it crushes their faith. And I can't tell you the number of people that I have I've confronted with that. Uh, you absolutely can pray for protection for you and for your kids. And we should be praying for protection for our kids and praying for those on the front lines. And, and you can trust that that makes a difference. It releases a kingdom influence in this world. But the one thing it doesn't do is cancel all of the other variables that affect what comes to pass, including free decisions of people. A guy doesn't in turn you know, get coercive on everybody else because you prayed a prayer. It, it, it goes into this mix. And so it makes a difference. And we need to be confident of that and even envision that as we're praying. But it doesn't guarantee. Right. And, and at the end of the day, okay, so that, that, that teaching in Matthew 6, it's a, it's a little bit funky because Jesus there says, hey, you know, don't worry. You can almost hear me like saying, don't worry, be happy. I don't, don't worry, you know, uh, well, what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. The pagans chase after all that stuff. But, but consider the birds of the air. They're just carefree. And the lilies of the field, they just, you know, and, and so be like them. Well, the thing is, is that, that the birds of the air get eaten by cats and, and the lilies of the field get trampled on by elephants. And so what kind of a security is that? Don't worry, be happy. Yeah. Um, I think what G Jesus is getting at a very important attitude there. He's like, don't be like the pagans who are clinging, uh, hungry for, always wanting more of their security and what they can wear, what they have, their possessions and all that stuff. Don't be pursuing that life. Be living a life where you're trusting out of the Father. But the thing about the lives of the field and birds of the air is that, uh, yeah, they're going to die and maybe a terrible death. A cat might, you know, ugh, I saw a squirrel yesterday, that poor squirrel. I was like, oh, anyway, stop. sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry, eyes <laughs> So, so terrible things happen to little animals all over the place. It's a fallen universe. But see, they, they, they don't fret over that. They don't worry about that. And, and, and so it, I think for the kingdom believer, if, what's crucial here is that we're trusting Abba Father, not just for the short story, but for a long story. Right. And, and we're living in a longer narrative than this, this life. Uh, of course, you know, God knows you need these things. And God will be working to provide those things. But it, I'm not even clinging to my own life to the point where I'm chasing after or you know, anxious about it. Uh, there should be, and there can be, if you're living in a long story, that this goes on forever and ever, this narrative, uh, that it, it, and, and that the end will be more than worth it. If you're living in that, you can have a peace, mm -hmm. like the lilies of the field, uh, even though we're living in a war zone world where you might get eaten by a cat. Yeah, Greg, right. I think often we think of the, when we hear the, Jesus talking about the kingdom or entering the kingdom, we think about that as a future thing, and then we just have to grind out life right now, and then that future thing will be awesome. But Jesus talked about the kingdom as a present reality, and I think you were just making a reference to that. But it's a very hard and substantial reality if we really understand what it is. It's not just an idea or an ideal. The kingdom is this new reality that Jesus brings into this world, and he invites us to actually enter into and live it. And it says, I think Paul says, the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, so it's not just physical temporal things, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit here and now. And so we can have this right relatedness, connectedness with God and each other and creation. And we can have peace and joy that the world doesn't know. It's, it's beyond the world's comprehension but because it's not rooted in temporal things. Temporal things matter, but when I hear Jesus saying, well, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you, I think how I look at that, at least in part, is he's saying, yeah, food and clothing and shelter are important things, but there's something even more real than all of that. Seek first this kingdom, the kingdom reality of righteousness, peace, and joy. 
And there's a whole set of things that you're looking for. The kinds of deep desires that are met by food, shelter, and clothing are more fully met in the kingdom, the kingdom reality that we can enter into right now. So I feel like for us as believers now, it's, it's really a matter of, is that real? Do we really believe that? Have we ourselves entered into that reality as though it's a reality? And I think that... Uh, calls us to bump up our prayer time, our imaginative prayer time, mm. as Greg just mentioned, our connectedness where we're doing the one another's with each other so the kingdom becomes more real. And then we can bring that and show that to others outside. I think that's so much more substantive than uh, what a lot of people think of as prayer, which is the, I prayed for grandma and grandpa, and so they're not going to get sick. Right. And we like to find peace in those things. Like, that's a promise. God's going to protect grandma and grandpa. Only we only have to look around, barely past the end of our noses, to know that's not how it works. Yeah, right. And so it's better to take that long view and understand that God is hearing our prayers for grandma and grandpa. But if then we're trusting that, our, that God is going to save grandma and grandpa, and then grandma and grandpa die, then what happens to our picture of God? Right. We have mm. to have a more substantive, robust picture of God yeah. in that long view to say, God cares about grandma and grandpa today, but our life is more than about just today. Our life is about eternity, and so let's look ahead. Mm. Let's look beyond the end of our nose and understand that mm. this life and our material possessions and our jobs and our mm. identities that are rooted in things here are not the real deal. The, it's the things in the eternity that really are going to get us through what's going on right now. Yes. Amen to that. Amen to That's that. Um, again, we just want to thank you all for hanging in there with us and sending us your questions and being on the live stream and sending in your comments. And it just, it feels good to know that we're just not up here talking to no one. You know, we feel a part of this big kingdom body, and that's really beautiful. And so we have one final question that I would like to get each of your perspectives on. And this is about those who, who hear what we're saying, they believe what we're saying, they know that we're not supposed to worry, and, we know, and they know that there's an eternal perspective, but in the everyday here and now, they have anxiety. And um, it's easy to, to get into that place. Uh, I would say it's even normal to be a little fearful at times. I just want to say that is okay. Don't feel judgment because you're not, don't worry, be happy all day long. Uh, there are real things happening and that we see and that make us scared. I think of myself who, uh, you know, I'm a wife, I'm a mom. I don't want to leave my family um, because of this, but I can't live in that place of fear. And so I have to look to Jesus. I have to trust him. And then uh, just give it to him and then go about my day doing the things that I feel called to do. And so what would you guys say? How could you encourage those out there who say, absolutely, we're looking for that eternal perspective. Absolutely, we want this to change the way that we're living our life. But man, there are times when you just look around and it just seems so big mm -hmm. and it seems mm -hmm. so massive and yeah. so real and it just scares me to my core. Mm. I'll start with that one. Um, yeah, the anxiety is real, and there's definitely legitimate things all around us that um, result in anxiety. And we, with all emotions, we can't control them directly by just, it'd be nice if there was a volume button. We could just turn down that anxiety or turn it off. Um, but there are things, practical things we can do that can help regulate our emotions. I think of a scripture in the Old Testament that says that God will keep in perfect peace those mm. whose minds are fixed mm. on him. 
And the New Testament is full of challenges or reminders for us to then focus or set our minds on certain things. And I feel like what we set our mind on is something that's always within our ability to do. It is sort of that volume knob. And so we can take in less news. We, we, yeah. I really encourage yes. us to not be just soaking up all the news oh, that's yeah. out there because it is anxiety provoking. We should limit that. We should be wisely informed so we can pray and so we can be prepared. But just minimally, I think also ruminating a lot of studies will show that anxiety is the product of how mm-hmm. we think and ruminating is is a way of thinking on the negative and running negative loops through our mind i think when we catch ourselves doing that uh, greg's talked for years about becoming detectives of our minds and that just means stepping back and taking a look at well what's going on there what's happening in, in my thoughts well then if i see that i'm ruminating on this thought loop i can step out of that and i can basically change the channel and focus on other things i can use anxiety as a prompt to enter into gratitude or prayer intercession for others. Um, I think serving others is also another way to break anxiety because anxiety is worrying usually about what's happening in my situation right now. But when I look out at others and see their needs and pray for them or step out to serve, all kinds of studies show that that helps get me out of that anxiety loop. Mm -hmm. Serving and caring and doing good for others is a great way to reduce anxiety. That is so good. Sandra, you've been doing some very practical, creative, and I think super cute <laughs> ways oh. to deal with this in, the, in your everyday life. Well, I wanted sure. to say something profound, but instead well, I'll tell you... that too. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a first. Okay. <laughs> I could oh. Ignore him. Oh. Okay. Ignore him. Well, I'll first just say that I've created a star chart for myself hmm. um, because what was happening to me is I have a, on my phone the website that tells how many people have the coronavirus, and at the beginning of this, I was literally every five minutes refreshing that and it it doesn't do any good right I can't help it I can't fix it it's only bad news and that's not what we're called to ruminate on to think about to put our minds toward and so um, I created a very practical way to do other things so when I get overwhelmed if I feel anxiety I have a chart that says do this other thing and so I have things on there like walk the dogs exercise Mm -hmm. um, clean out a junk drawer uh, learn a new craft, whatever. Uh, you pray, meditate, um, do yoga. And then, when, so when I'm feeling that anxiety, and I say, right now I need to fill my time with something mm. that's concrete. So every Sunday I print out this chart, it has the list of things, and then I don't have any star stickers, but I make my own star to say, <laughs> I did that today. And it really does get you, you take the dogs outside, you go for a walk, and you get a different perspective, and you come home in a better frame of mind. And of course, standing before Jesus and submitting mm. that anxiety needs to be a big thing on all of our star charts. Amen to that. The scheduling thing, I think it's particularly, I mean, it's important for for all of us to keep some kind of sanity, but especially if you have kids. I'm told that that is like a a crucial thing to have, you know, keep the kids on task and retain as much as normal as possible. I, I would say that I, I, Ke- Ke- Kevin's point about being other-oriented, I think, mm-hmm. is absolutely crucial. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we are too self-focused, we tend to get, you know, that, that, that puts the anxiety through the roof. And if you're self-focused while watching TV, it's like staring at a tsunami as it's coming in. Well, you know, if a tsunami's coming in, probably staring at it isn't the best advice <laughs> on how to deal with it. It's getting Probably bigger. Not. Who knows where the ceiling is? It's going up. It's still going up. Well, it's skyrocketing. Every day, news break. There's more deaths. It's going up. It's yeah. like, 
Yeah, so yeah. you don't want to, I don't think we're neurologically wired to handle that much no. coming at us. And then you see these images of those trucks outside the hospitals, mm -hmm. the cooler trucks, and none of us have seen anything like this before. And it, 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 could, it can really emotionally overwhelm you if you don't take some commonsensical things about having parameters around that. Um, so the other oriented focus is, I think, mm -hmm. crucial gratitude. We've been talking yes. about that. I think yes. that is, yeah, neurologically, being other oriented can't help but help you and being grateful. And so just itemizing things that you're grateful for. Always Amen. make it a habit. Uh, you know, just to thank God that that blessing got through and that person's there or whatever uh, can totally shift. Uh, it changes things. our brain chemistry. Uh, yeah, it literally changes the brain chemistry. There's been science, totally. a lot of science behind this. Um, and then the other thing is it's really important to know what you can and what you can't control. Right. You know, and, and, and what's within my power to, uh, to do something about and what's not. And you have to at some point leave that. Mm -hmm. You can't control everything. Mm -hmm. And that's really important when it comes to, like, we all want to be as conscientious as possible about sanitizing. And, mm -hmm. and my wife's been trying to train me. I'm real dull at this. I don't, it doesn't come natural to think about, I mean, I just have not been that, that way. If there's a right way and a wrong way to turn off the valve. You can't use your fingers. You got it. I can't, I can never remember that. I'm too old. To, anyway, she's <laughs> training me on this. But see, no matter how much you wash and all the food we get in, we wash and all that, no matter what you do, you can't guarantee that there isn't one germ someplace, and that might be the one that would get you sick or get your kids sick. And if you take responsibility for that, you will go nuts. Yeah. Yes. So, so take ordinary precautions, but just know that there's only so much a finite human being can do. Uh, do your best and then leave the rest. And um, if you do your best and leave the rest, well, then you're blessed. Hallelujah. How do you like that? That's, <laughs> amen. All right. Thank you so much <laughs> for that. I think it's important to, yes, all of that. Also, just if you are, if you find yourself in that place of being fearful, of having high anxiety, um, that is okay. Just don't stay there. Mm -hmm. Allow Jesus to meet you in that place. Mm -hmm. Allow him to draw you out. And I know in our family, the gratitude piece has been huge. And so every morning, we, kind of, we just have a time to gather together, talk through our day. And then we talk about something that we're grateful for because it takes our eyes off of the worry, the fear, the mm -hmm. unknown and just it fixes our eyes on better and good things and so that's been really really powerful I love it thank you all so much again for sending in your questions for tuning in during this live stream um, know that we love you very much we are praying for you and we are thankful that we have a community of people to uh, live this out with now there's a few things we want to let you know about Greg is going to close this out in prayer thank you for doing that but one of the things that we have missed during this live stream is the, the prayer that happens at the end of service when, we, when you are able to come forward and lay your burdens and have a prayer partner pray with you. And so if you go to our website, there's a link on the screen. You can go there and you'll be directed to a prayer room immediately after the service. You can go and get prayer. So check that out. We are going to be having our Good Friday service. We're going to live stream that. It's going to be Friday evening at 7 p.m. We are going to share communion together. And so we encourage you all to gather the elements and participate in that. Now, don't feel the pressure to go out and buy the exact right, you know, wine or grape juice or whatever it is that you use and the per, uh, perfect loaf of bread. Use what you have at home. It doesn't matter whether it's water or just whatever you have at home. Whatever you have uh, to represent the bread, please participate in that with us. It'll be a really beautiful thing. And then join us um, Easter Sunday where we get to celebrate the resurrected Christ uh, right here at 10 a.m. we'll be live streaming our Easter service. Don't forget that you can get details about how to stay connected on the app. You can give on the app and on the website. We love you guys. Thank you so much. Um, we're trying to, the voice teacher, to follow the spirit. 
and Mary just got nervous. Uh, I'd like to end with this kind of a prayer. I feel like this is where the Spirit's leading us. Uh, some of you listening here, I don't know who you are, but if you, you, if you would rate your anxiety, mm. let's say, on a 1 to 10 scale as an 8 or above, just note that. Are you an 8 or above? Mm. Or let's maybe make it 7 above. You're anxious about mm. this. Okay, so there's one group. The, there's the rest of us who are 7 and below. Some of us are very peaceful. Some of us are sort of anxious, but managing it. I would like all of us who are not that anxious to right now pray for all the people who are very yes. anxious. So if you're a 7, 8, 9, 10, uh, this receive this prayer. If you're a 6 to 7 and below, then give this prayer. And maybe the Spirit will help you envision a particular person that you know is very anxious. But let's just pray right now together. Join our prayer, mm -hmm. the 7 and unders, for the sake of those who are anxious, mm -hmm. and ask that the Comforter comes and brings comfort. Mm -hmm. Abba, Father, mm -hmm. Thank you that you have shared with us as part of our eternal inheritance. Mm. Everyone who will simply surrender and receive it. You've, you've given to us your own peace. The peace of your own being. The inner shalom. That infinite shalom. You share it with us. It's the comforter of the Holy Spirit. And we right now pray on, all, on behalf of all those who are in deep anxiety. Yes. Uh, and maybe their thoughts are racing. It's out of control. We pray right now that you would baptize them in your comforting Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Surround them with that gentle uh, self that, that can minister to them. Uh, calm them down. Help them to breathe more deeply and more slowly. Uh, quiet their racing thoughts. Mm -hmm. uh, give them that peace that passes all understanding because they don't understand why they should even be peaceful, but it's there, Lord. Help them to receive that as part of their inheritance, their share in what you've already accomplish for them. Holy Spirit, breathe on them. Yes, Lord. And all of you who are anxious, just receive this here. Receive that love and let it just drive out fear. Yes. Call, just provide this calming factor. Yes. Lord, thank you for giving us this long story to live in. We know that you win in the end and someday you shall be all in all and every square inch of the cosmos will be defined by your love. We look forward to that time when you will have reconciled all things to yourself. But right now, Lord God, help us to participate with you in the, re the reconciliation work that you're doing. Help us to be the church to put that on display in every way, shape, and form, manifesting your loving character of the world around us. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said. Amen. I can hear it over the airwaves. God bless you guys. See you Friday, 7 o'clock right? Yes. All right. Bye-bye.